Hello and welcome to the Emmanuel Croydon podcast. At Emmanuel Croydon, we exist to be a community drawn together by our desire to know and follow Jesus. We long to become disciples of Jesus who are equipped to serve him in the whole of life, transforming families, communities and workplaces as we love God with heart, mind, soul and strength. We hope you enjoy this week's talk from the morning services. Thank you for joining us today. Grace and peace to you. Uh, This morning's reading uh, comes from the book of Lamentations, and um, we're going to be reading chapter 5. Uh, This can be found on page 836 in the Pew Bibles, 836. Remember, Lord, what has happened to us. Look and see our disgrace. Our inheritance has been turned over to strangers, our homes to aliens. We have become orphans and fatherless. Our mothers are widows. We must buy the water we drink. Our wood can be had only at a price. Those who pursue us are at our heels. We are weary and find no rest. We submitted to Egypt and Assyria to get enough bread. Our parents sinned and are no more. And we bear their punishment. Slaves rule over us. And there is none to free us from their hands. We get our bread at the risk of our lives because of the sword in the desert. Our skin is hot as an oven, feverish from hunger. Women have been violated in Zion and virgins in the towns of Judah. Princes have been hung up. By their hands, elders are shown no respect. Young men toil at the millstones, boys stagger under loads of wood. The elders are gone from the city gate, the young men have stopped their music. Joy is gone from our hearts, our dancing has turned to mourning. The crown has fallen from our head. Woe to us, for we have sinned. Because of this, our hearts are faint. Because of these things, our eyes grow dim for Mount Zion, which lies desolate with jackals prowling over it. You, Lord, reign forever. Your throne endures from generation to generation. Why do you always forget us? Why do you forsake us so long? Restore us to yourself, Lord, that we may return, renew our days as of old. Unless you have utterly rejected us and are angry with us beyond measure. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Simon. Well, I, I wonder if you've ever had that experience as a child of getting, of getting lost. 
getting separated from your parents, maybe in a shopping center or something like that. Uh, I had this experience when I was quite young. We were on a family holiday, uh, two, other, two other sets of families. We'd been traveling through France. We were on our way back to the ferry, and we stopped for lunch. Uh, and towards the end, I went to the toilet, and I got stuck in the toilet. Uh, so there I am, kind of banging on the door, desperate for someone to come. How am I going to get out? And, uh, and it seemed like an age before anyone came. It was actually a little bit of time because what had happened was that we were on this journey back. We were just kind of getting in and out of the different families' cars just as we went. You know, some kids, but not with the same parents and all of that on the way back. And uh, it took my, the, the, the dad of one of the families to notice that I hadn't actually got into any of the cars as they were loading up after lunch. Uh, and so eventually they noticed uh, and came looking. My dad and this, and this dad came looking for me uh, and eventually at long last... I'm let out of the loo. Uh, funny in retrospect, and it's gone down, as you can, can imagine, in family history. But, but those moments, actually, in those long moments, I remember being terrified. Will I be left on my own? Will I be forgotten? That's scary enough, isn't it, for a child? But it, it's more troubling when it comes uh, to God. I wonder if you noticed in those words we had that, that Jeremiah wrote... Uh, that the people are wondering if God has abandoned them. We get that in the anguish questions, verse 20. Do do look with me, verse 20. Why do you always forsake us? Why do you forsake us so long? Now, questions like that have been uh, facing Jeremiah and the people uh, since the very start of the book. Here's how it began. Chapter 1, verse 1. How deserted lies the city once so full of people? How like a widow is she who once was great among the nations? In other words, how has all of this happened, God? Or the question that comes in the middle of chapter 2. Look, Lord, and consider, whom have you ever treated like this? Why are you treating us like this, God? For me, the question I find hardest that I return return to often is, is, why, Lord, did you have to take my dad away at age 56? And I wonder what those kind of questions are for you. What are the, the why or the, the how questions? Why or how God questions that are most pressing for you? Or maybe there have been some questions like that in the past. Perhaps you've been following along in this series and in part because you've been hoping that you might find at least some partial answers to particular questions that are, that are still nagging at you. Because those why and how questions are often thrown up in our, in our periods of suffering. And we're wondering, what do I, what do, I do with those questions? Or maybe you're, you're supporting someone, a brother and sister here in the church family or elsewhere, uh, and wondering how to help them with those questions. But as we come to the end of this extraordinary little book, uh, Lamentations, we find Jeremiah and the people uh, facing that same dilemma of what to do with their, their questions. We saw in the middle of last, uh, uh, middle of the chapter, chapter three last week, um, having reached, as it were, rock bottom, looking as if he's about to pack in his faith, Jeremiah begins to grow again in his trust in God uh, as he reminds himself of what he knows to be true about God. He reminds himself of God's faithfulness, of the daily mercies he shows his people, uh, that although he can't always understand God's plan, there are, there are always loving purposes for him. Uh, It is times of pain. 
But as I said last week, speaking those kind of truths, hearing again of God's faithfulness, that is not some kind of spiritual magic bullet. And actually, you see, after those words in chapter 3, the rest of that chapter continues, and indeed all of chapter 4, with the people continuing to pour out the depths of their grief. In other words, nothing has changed in the situation after this moment of encountering again God's faithfulness. Those questions that the people are asking haven't been answered. So what does Jeremiah do? What does he lead the people in doing uh, in the face of their unanswered questions? Here's what they do. They pray. They pray. They pray boldly. They pray urgently, consistently. Now, that might not be the answer we would have um, expected. Frankly, it's probably not the answer we were, we were hoping for in some ways. And that's because quite naturally, we, when we're faced with our unanswered questions, we, we want a resolution. We want to know the answers to those questions. But just, just think this through with me for a moment. Our God, he's a, he's, a, he's a God of perfect love, our perfect loving Heavenly Father. He knows all things. He's sovereign over all things. And so he knows what's best for us as his children. And that means that if it was best for us, spiritually speaking, to know all of the answers to our questions, then he would give them to us. But he doesn't do that. He doesn't do that here. It seems to me he doesn't do that ever in the Bible. Completely answer all of the questions that people have. Maybe you've ever read the book of Job. Question after question. And Job, in the end, he encounters God in all his splendor and majesty. He sees God for who he is, but God doesn't give him an answer to all of his questions. He doesn't do that here. He doesn't do it in all of the lament psalms. I'm taking it from that, that it it means that it's better for us not to know all of the answers. And instead, God calls us in our times of, of grief, of anguished questions, to go deeper into our relationship with him. And that's what we're going to see happening here in this chapter. We're just going to walk through uh, this prayer in chapter 5 and see what we can learn from it about how the people pray uh, with their unanswered questions. First, I do want us just to to notice that this chapter really is a prayer. Uh, Look at how it's bracketed, verses 1 and 2. Remember, Lord, what has happened to us. Look and see our disgrace. And Jeremiah and the people are crying out to God. They're asking him to take notice of their pain. And then verses 2 to 18 essentially catalog that pain and suffering to God. They tell him the things that they're finding hard, all the things they're finding hard. And then the end of the chapter rounds off this prayer. Now, here's why I think it's important for us to notice that this is a prayer. See, God, God in his sovereignty and his wisdom, he knows all of these things have happened to the people. He sees everything. Indeed, as we saw earlier in the series, God himself sent these sufferings, the judgments on the people justly for their sin. So why do they need to bring these things to the Lord in prayer? Why do they? Well, I'm imagining that one of the reasons is that it helps us to see there is nothing off limits when we talk to God. There's no situation, there are no sufferings, there's, there's nothing that we can't bring to our faithful God. In some ways, this whole book has been teaching us that. And that is, that's crucially important, I think, to keep hold of, because 
what often happens when sufferings come, when the questions are swirling around in our minds, is that we face the spiritual temptation to move away from God. It's that maybe because we fear, internally we think, well, maybe God can't actually help me with this particular thing. I wonder if you felt like that at times. I certainly have. And instead, God is saying to us, he's calling us to run towards him in our suffering. To let him be the place of refuge and security. So we're going to learn here from, from how these people move towards their faithful God. Look with me again at verse one. Remember, Lord, what has happened to us. Look and see our disgrace. So back in chapter three, Jeremiah, remember that God is a promise-making, promise-keeping God. And so confident of that, confident of who God is, he's crying out to God to intervene. Remember, Lord, look and see. Remember means please help, Lord. Please deliver us. It's an urgent call to help for, the Lord, uh, for help to the Lord. And that again, that's just a reminder. We can pray that those kind of urgent, bold, cry of the heart kind of prayers. God welcomes us coming to him like that. He's ready for us to come to him. So that's what the people do. Remember, Lord, look what has happened to us. Look and see our disgrace. And as I said, the next 17 verses, they're like a catalogue of that disgrace. As Simon read it, I'm sure you've got a sense of the the grief, the urgency of the words. Just Just listen to a couple of those words again with me. Verse 15. Joy is gone from our hearts. Our dancing has turned to mourning. The crown has fallen from our head. Woe to us, for we have sinned. Because of this, our hearts are faint. Because of these things, our eyes grow dim. So I mentioned one reason that I think we get this, this catalogue of sufferings. It's to show us there's nothing too big to bring to God in, in, in prayer. And here's the other important reason I think we get these words of prayer recorded here. It's because it's good for us uh, emotionally, spiritually, uh, to give voice to our pain. You see, when, when hard times come on us, uh, another temptation is that we kind of walk, think, well, I'll try and kind of, as it were, walk past those times. Just sort of try and push them out of my mind. Maybe we fear that if we really face up to our sufferings, it will uh, somehow imply a lack of faith on our part. That's not the case. Remember, we, we're simply, when we're acknowledging what's hard, we're simply acknowledging the world's, world's broken. Or maybe we try and walk past these things because we fear others sharing their deepest sufferings with us because we worry maybe we won't know what to say, how to respond. And yet we know that it doesn't do us any good to bottle in our feelings. In fact, there's a certain release that comes from from getting our burdens out into the open. Paul spoke of that, didn't he, very movingly. Paul, thanks so much for sharing with us honestly and openly about your struggles. And Paul encouraged us to be be honest about the things that are hard. So if you're really struggling at the moment, I don't want to sound like a broken record in this series, but but I do want to say again, if you're struggling and you haven't shared that with someone, please do share it with your small group, perhaps with one of us in the pastoral care team. And then, strange as it may sound, can I encourage you to find some way to, to give voice to your prayer to God, maybe even to write some things down. That's essentially what what we have here in chapter 5. The people having written down their prayer, you you could 
write down your struggles to God in a prayer like this. You could write down, remember, Lord, look what has happened to me. Look and see. Or, Lord, please remember and have mercy because I'm finding these things really hard. And then you can simply list those things. If you've never done something like that before, can I encourage you just to try it? It could bring a surprising degree of release, simply getting those things out into the open before God. Now, whether you actually write them down or not, that doesn't matter so much. The point is that it's good for us, however we do it, to bring our hardships to God in prayer. And so the question comes for us, well, what might we pray into these kind of moments? Well, look with me at another aspect of the prayer towards the end of the chapter. After bringing all their struggles to God, listen to this prayer in verse 19. You, Lord, reign forever. Your throne endures from generation to generation. You, Lord, reign forever. Now, these are people who are not burying their heads in the sand. Remember, they've just catalogued their sufferings in prayer to God. But what they're doing instead, in effect, is saying, God, life is really hard for me right now. But I know, we know that you're still in charge. We know that you reign forever. We know that you've not stopped being our God. We know you're a God of great love, that your compassions never fail. They're new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. And so we trust that you are still God. You're still good and faithful to us. Still in control, even when we can't see it. It would be wonderful if, as a church family, we we learn more and more to pray in this kind of way, in our sufferings, to speak these kind of truths uh, to one another. There's a word of caution that's worth saying in the way that we do that with one another. Um, Just imagine with me overhearing a conversation at the end of the service, uh, you're there, you can see this interaction going on. Um, one, one person sort of pours out their heart uh, to the other. There was some deep, deep struggle in their life. You watch the other, the other person and you can tell from their body language that uh, they're in a hurry to get out the door, uh, even more of a hurry now that this has been shared with them. And uh, so they hastily mutter something from, from Romans eight twenty eight about how God works for the good of those who love him and then they, they shoot out the door. Now, what's wrong in that scenario? It's not that Romans 8.28 isn't true. It gloriously is. The problem is that they haven't, haven't really taken any time to, to really hear and acknowledge just how hard the things are for the other person. They've tried, as it were, to short-circuit the pain, as if that truth of God's sovereignty will make the other person feel instantly better. But as we saw just a few minutes ago, from, from the way that people pray here, we first need to give our, one another room to express the, the depths of our pain. To get alongside one another and grieve with one another. To show one another we, we understand how much it hurts. We're there for one another. And then in good time, we can begin to speak truths like that, Romans 8.28, to one another. Because that really is a glorious truth. We're going to be looking at Romans 8 in our evening services starting this evening. Do follow along. It's a glorious chapter for us as believers. So we should remind one another of of truths like the ones in that chapter as we learn to to pray and to to do life together. Prayers filled with confidence that God is in control in our times of pain, that he is working for our spiritual good. Perhaps ask yourself, am I I committed 
enough to my brothers and sisters here to, to live in that kind of way, sacrificially to, to get alongside others, to be with them for the long haul, at the right time to speak truth into their lives. That might be a challenge for us to think through. So whatever uncertainties, whatever unanswered questions you have this, this morning, let's make verse 19 the kind of prayer that we pray. Maybe if you're someone who struggles as you go to bed, as I do, to sort of deal with all the thoughts swirling around, swirling around in your mind, maybe you could simply pray, end, end the day with a prayer like this. You, Lord, verse 19, reign forever. Your throne endures from generation to generation. I reckon if we make that kind of prayer, uh, maybe as we go to bed or even when we wake in the middle of the night, worrying, if we make that kind of prayer our regular pattern, I think it will do us the world of spiritual good. You, Lord, reign forever. Your throne endures from generation to generation. And that brings us to the final words of this book. And I wonder if you spotted that it, it doesn't come to an end with a neat set of answers. Verse 20. Why do you always forsake us? Forget us. Why do you forsake us so long? But then look how the book ends. Restore us to yourself, Lord, that we may return. Renew our days as of old. Unless you have utterly rejected us and are angry with us beyond measure. As with every other question in the book, the question is not followed by a neat set of answers. And it seems to me that Lamentations ends in this way because it's the Lord's way of saying to us that our, our questions don't all need to be answered in order for us to grow in our relationship with him. Our trust in him, even in profound times of profound suffering and, and anguish questions. See, the way the book ends reminds us that in this broken world, before the Lord Jesus comes back, that there will always be unanswered questions. Times when we maybe face sufferings without knowing quite when they're going to end. In those times, indeed in all times, our God hasn't changed. He is still sovereign. He is still working for our good. There's a hint to the, the deepest assurance of that, that that comes for the believer in the, the final words. See, for, for the people in Jeremiah's day, they weren't sure how this would end, unless you have utterly rejected us, verse 22, and are angry with us beyond measure. But the deepest assurance of God's presence in our pain comes from, from the cross. As believers in Jesus, we, we know if we trust in Jesus, he's not angry with us beyond measure. He has not rejected us. And so even in those unanswered questions, we can grow in trusting God and in his faithfulness. Just to land this for us, uh, here's how this, this helps me personally, and it's my encouragement to us as we come to a close in this series. As I mentioned earlier, the, the unanswered question that most lingers for me is, God, why did you have to take my dad at only 56? Do you know, I've gradually come to see over the years since, since dad died that I don't need an answer to that question in order to trust that God is still good and in control. That doesn't mean I don't still grieve. It doesn't mean that there aren't real hardships that as a family we have because he's not there. There are. 
I wish my dad were around to give the wise advice that we came to rely on. I wish my dad were around in those significant family moments. I wish my dad was around full stop. And you see, this is where Jeremiah helps us, where biblical lament helps us. Helps me to recognize that all of that grief, it's natural, it's understandable, it's genuine. But it also helps me to keep turning towards my God in prayer. God, I know that you still reign, even in this. I know that you still love me in this, because you sent your son. Your son who understands more deeply than anyone else the sufferings that we face. He suffered more deeply than any of us ever will. So your, your word tells us he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with my grief. He knows my grief. And God, in your great sovereignty, you turned the most evil act ever committed, the murder of your own son, and used it to bring me into your family. I know that because of his death for me, you have not, in the words of verse 22, you have not rejected me. You are not angry with me beyond measure. And because of Jesus' victory over death at the resurrection, although I don't know when, I do know that one day all of my pain will cease. I do know that one day I will gaze on your majesty and enjoy your presence for all eternity. Those are the kind of things that biblical lament enable us to pray. So Lamentations, an amazing book, graciously given to us by our loving Heavenly Father. A book that's reminded us that the world is broken. It's okay to not be okay. A book that's taught us to keep on preaching the truth to ourselves, talking to ourselves more than listening to ourselves, that God is still God, still faithful, still good. And a book that's given us language to keep on talking to God, our loving and Heavenly Father, even when our questions aren't answered. So that's what we're going to do now. I'm going to lead us in a prayer. If I could invite the band to come up as I lead us. And I'm going to pray for us as a church family. And we're going to use Lamentations 5, just a couple of these sentences from this chapter as the basis for our prayers. So let's pray together. Remember, Lord, what has happened to us. Look and see our pain. Lord, we bring to you the many things in our lives that might be causing us pain this morning. We bring to you the world that we prayed for, broken by our sin. This world which is groaning. Look and see, Lord, all that we're finding hard. Just take a moment to name in the silence of your hearts anything that you're struggling with. We bring to you that sustain times of illness that some in our church family are facing. We bring all in our church family and community who have dementia to you with all the fear, the confusion that that brings. We mourn with our church family who have lost loved ones, some recently for whom the pain of that grief is very raw. We pray again in particular for the whole Bacon family, particularly for Barry and for Roberta as members of our church family. You would surround them with your loving care. Pray too for the 
the family and friends of John Howard, especially his wife, Margie. And we pray for those who have lost people longer ago, continuing to grieve in different ways. We weep too with all of our brothers and sisters who are burdened by a range of emotional struggles. For each of these sufferings, for all that is being experienced in our church family, we cry to you, look, Lord, and see. Thank you that we can cry to you about these things. And thank you that you are indeed sovereign. That in each of these situations, you have not stopped being God. We praise you that you, Lord, reign forever. Your throne endures from generation to generation. Please grow us as a church family where we don't try to short circuit one another's pain, but where we don't hold back from from sharing gospel truth with each other as well. Thank you that you do indeed gloriously work in all things for our good and for your glory. Even as our questions remain unanswered. Please give us an increasing comfort in our souls from the rock-solid reality that you really do lovingly rule and reign over all things. Restore us to yourself, Lord, that we may return. How we praise you that when we feel the weight of our sin, our rebellion against you, and then remember that the very reason you sent your son into this broken world was for us, so that through him we might return to you, that we might be indeed restored to relationship with you. And so thank you that each of us who have trusted in your son is counted righteous in your sight this morning. You look at us and you see us as spotless, cleansed, white as snow, because your son shed his blood for us. And we praise you that he gloriously rose from the dead death could not hold him he is victorious and he promises each one of us who are your people one day that we too will rise in glory and meet you face to face how we praise you that on that day all our sorrows will cease and until that day lord we pray give us the confidence of these words that we're going to sing now your plans are still to prosper you have not forgotten us You're with us in the fire and the flood. You're faithful forever, perfect in love. You are sovereign over us. Let's declare that confidence of those words together as we stand to sing. Thanks for listening to the Emmanuel Croydon podcast. For more information about our church and everything we have going on, visit our website, emmanuelcroydon.org.uk. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram to see and hear what's going on in the life of our church. God bless you and have a wonderful week.